We are doing a series of uh, topics based on healing stories. Healing stories. And one of the characteristics of a healthy mind is the ability to look forward. Most of those who are depressed, they dwell with the past. And those who have a healthy and energized kind of a life, they go, they look into the future. In fact, a well-known Dutch 19th century philosopher, Kierkegaard, he said, if you want to live, you, look, you have to look forward. If you want to understand, if you need to understand why you are the person that you are, then you look back. And that's what Sharon did a few seconds ago. Uh, she looked back and to help us understand that she is not an extrovert, but an introvert. I know Sharon. I know Sharon. She is the first person I baptized in this church. And um, I remember my second Sabbath right here. Yes? A reform. <laughs> she was attending another church, as I was, and uh, I gave her the Bible studies, and and, um, and I said, I would like to baptize you before I go. And she said, no, I'm going with you. <laughs> and so she came here on the second Sabbath. We uh, have that uh, moment that was so beautiful, so extraordinary. And I'm glad because the Lord is using children in a very mighty way to bless his people in our church and beyond. I have to confess something. I have never spent time in the Word of God uh, digging in relation to the subject that I'm going to preach today, goals, how to set up goals, how to attain goals. So I spent a considerable period of time uh, digging into the Old Testament and the New Testament just to deal with the subject today, and I'm delighted that I did. Uh, I learned a number of things, and I, I will try to share them with you as well as the Spirit wants me to do it. There are several definitions of goals in the Word of God. Some of them are found in the Old Testament, some of them are in the New, and most of them are in both. Um, and there are five basic definitions of goals, five definitions of goals. The first one is this, to accomplish something that you have in mind. You establish a goal, her goal was, Lord, help me to be more of an extrovert. And... Um, you may not believe it, but that was my goal too. I was exceedingly introvert and very fearful. I remember the first time, the first time that um, I have something to do in public. I was in high school and I was so timid, I was so bashful that I took a class in music, just how to lead music, how to lead songs. And um, uh, not hoping... I, hoping that nobody would ask me to do that. When we finished the class, the first person that she asked was me to. There were a thousand students, and um, she wanted me to lead the song service. I was shaking so badly. I was wearing the widest pants that I had. And even though I, I, I could, I was shaking, I was shaking, and I came forward and I led the song service, and uh, by the grace of God, it was okay. And when, when I was coming down, I was coming down, they were so wide, I tripped with myself, and I went down <laughs> face to it. Oh, 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 oh. And the person who had to do the prayer after that couldn't do it. She was laughing so badly, and <laughs> the whole congregation was laughing and laughing, and 
And I remember being on the ground, on the floor, and saying, this is from the devil, and I'm going to overcome you in the name of Jesus. And, well, today it's a little bit different, but uh, by nature some of us are still introverts. <laughs> how, you do you, how do you establish, you establish a goal? I want to get out of the misery of being an introvert. And it's, it's very painful, very painful. And you want to be able to communicate and to share without that perspiring and, and agony that it is. There is a second definition, and that surprised me a little bit, the second definition. And is to be compassionate. Uh, in the Old Testament, as well as in the New, uh, one of the goals is to be compassionate with those who need compassion. And I'm not going to say much about that because that is the topic for next Sabbath. And Tommy Smith is going to deal with that with a brief story, and then we are going to have a guest speaker who used to be the director of the magazine, ministry magazine at the Zealand Conference and um, Pastor Eva. And um, the third definition, and if, uh, very, very important, this one, is to have a heart that is given totally to the task that you have, to the goal that you have. An undivided heart. You put all your energy, all your soul, all your spirit, all your uh, physical uh, uh, activities or talents or energy or whatever in the pursuit of that goal. But you are an individual with one heart and undivided attention. And um, number four, and number four is very interesting. You find that mostly in the book of Hebrews. There are 18 references to goals in the book of Hebrews. And all of them, all of them are worship related. All of them are worship related. I was so surprised. I didn't expect that at all. And those worship related goals are deal with three major subjects. How to uh, consecrate yourself to God or sanctify yourself to God. Number two, how to obey to God. And number three, um, number three, well, it will come in a few moments. <laughs> um, it has to do with worship, and that will come in a, f in a few moments. Okay. Um, there is a fifth one, but I'm not going to mention the fifth one uh, for a few moments. And then once we find the verse in chapter 4, uh, we are going to define uh, the uh, definition number 5. I decided to use one illustration from the Old Testament, and Sharon already told you which one is that uh, story. It's the book of Nehemiah. Would you please open your, book, uh, your Bible in the book of Nehemiah? And those who have no idea where the book of Nehemiah is, it's book number 16 in the Bible. Number 16. After 1 Simon and 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and then comes... Uh, Here is Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah. In fact, in all, all, all Bibles, you will find that the book of Ezra and Nehemiah are just one book. And later on, they divided the two books. But the stories are very similar, and the dynamics are very similar. And in the book of Nehemiah, you find examples of the five definitions of setting goals and attaining them. Nehemiah, as uh, Sharon said a few moments ago, was a servant. He was just a servant. 
He was not honored with degrees or titles. He was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He was a servant, a very faithful servant. I am not even going to attempt to mention the name of the king, the Persian king. It starts with an A, so I'm going to call him K, uh, King A. And uh, in Spanish, uh, King Artajerjes. And so now you know how the pronunciation is. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, this king had a good relationship. He was quite moody, according to Josephus. He was quite moody. And, um, but uh, Nehemiah was so faithful, so faithful in serving the king and the queen. By the way, when he says queen, it's not necessarily the wife. It could be one of the many concubines that he had. And um, uh, there is something in the heart of Nehemiah. He is concerned with the people of Israel who have been in captivity, with the Jews who have been in captivity, particularly from the province of Judah. And so he's thinking about, he's praying about, and then his, um, his brother by the name of Hanani. Um, if you remember Hassani, and some of you cannot uh, remember Hassani, just replace the S with an N, Hanani. And some other friends came from Jerusalem. And he said, how are the people, the exiles who went back to Jerusalem doing? And he, they said, oh, horrible, horrible. They are going through exceedingly difficult circumstances. And besides that, the walls of the city are destroyed, and the gates, some of the gates, uh, have been burned. And so Nehemiah got very concerned, very concerned. And if you go to verses uh, number 4 through 7, you will find something very interesting. He did something that he probably learned from Jeremiah. Jeremiah existed about 150, 170 years before Nehemiah. And he probably remembered Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where Jeremiah, quoting God, he says, I have plans for you. In other words, I have goals for you. Now that in itself is a very traumatic statement to most of us, because normally we have plans, and after we have plans, we come to God and said, you bless my plans. But in Jeremiah 29, it says, <laughs> I have plans for you. And these plans are not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. And I have the feeling, because there are several expressions that Nehemiah has in his book that are similar to Jeremiah's and several that are similar to Daniel's uh, statements. So probably he has that concept in mind. And in Jeremiah 29, verse 12, it says how to discover God's plans. And he uses three synonyms for the same thing. You will call me, and I will answer you. You will seek me, and I will answer you. You will pray, you, and you will pray to me, and I will answer you. And so Nehemiah, that's what he does. He starts praying. And in verse number 4, it says, Nehemiah 1, 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Well, that is the second definition of a goal. 
to be compassionate. And he is very compassionate when it comes to the people of uh, uh, the Jewish people who went back to Jerusalem. They are going through a very exceedingly difficult uh, circumstances. And so he wept. But he also did something else. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He mourned, he prayed, and he fasted. On the 20th, this coming week, on the 20th, the 40 days that we uh, commit ourselves, some of us, I think a a significant number of us, to pray and to fast for personal needs and also for the educational endowment fund, on the 20th, the 40 days come to a conclusion. Now, some of you, some of you started later on. In fact, one of you right here told me that it started last week. So that individual has another 30 plus days ahead of her. But for most of us who started um, three weeks ago, it comes the conclusion on the 20th. Why are we fasting? For the two objectives that I mentioned a few moments ago. We fast once a week and pray every single day uh, for a personal need and also for the educational endowment fund. And some of you are wondering, how is the educational endowment fund coming along? Well, very interesting how it's coming along. Very interesting. Not the way that we expected. And I love it. I just love it because God is opening some other doors that are very, very fascinating. I'm not going to go into details yet or maybe into anything else because uh, we want to make sure, we want to make sure that that's what the Lord wants. But he has op- he's opening some doors that if they prosper, and we are praying that we want to do the will of the Father, not, nothing else. Uh, it might lead us to something really big and something that um, if it happens and when it happens, we will find no choice but to say, you, Lord, did it because we couldn't do it. You did And that's what we like to do. Okay? Amen? Amen. All right. Very good. So whenever somebody in the Bible, the Old Testament or the New Testament, they mourned, fasted, and prayed, there was a specific reason, a specific goal. And the goal right now is for the people of Israel in, in Jerusalem feel more secure, for them to be able to feel safe and to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. But he doesn't know exactly how that that is going to accomplish. So he keeps praying, and he keeps praying. Now notice verse number 7. Verse number 7. We have acted very wickedly. He's confessing their sins toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. He confessed his sins and the sins of his parents and the sins of uh, his people. And then, once he does that, then he says, Lord, come and fill our hearts and fill our lives and show me, show me what you want me to do. It took three months. It took three months. Here we keep reading, and it gives the impression that the very next day he knows what the answer is. No. It took about three months for God to reveal the goal, the plan, to Nehemiah. And the plan is... You, simple servant, who has no degrees, no titles, absolutely nothing important, I want you to go to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of the city 
and to bless the people ministering to them and to restore the gates. And I can see fighting the idea. I can see, I can see him struggling, but I'm not a contractor. I am not an architect. I am not an engineer. I am not, I'm nothing. I just, the only thing I do is I bring the wine to the king. That's all. He has done that for 12 years. Faithfully. Very faithfully. And God said, you are the man. Let me tell you something. This is very fascinating. We are told by the spirit of prophecy that in the book of life, his name was written like this. Nehemiah. Comma, the man. I don't know if you watched the news yesterday, but it was painful. It was painful, the local news, when these parents are talking to their murderer, the murderer of their daughters. Oh, oh my stomach got sick. Sick. And one of them said, you have not been a man. You have been a coward. Nehemiah, in the book of life, Nehemiah, the man. Wow! When God says that, that means something. That means something. If that is the only thing that he wants to say about Brother Julio, that will be good. <laughs> that will be good. <laughs> the man, the man. Don't you love it? Yeah, he was faithful to God. And now he's asking God for the plan. And God says, I want you to go and do that. And say, I want, I, I can see Nehemiah, but the king is not going to allow me to do it. I'm his faithful servant. Enemies use wine to poison the enemies. I'm the faithful one. He knows that when I bring the wine, it's because I have already tasted, and it's good. It doesn't kill anybody. Uh, he's very temperamental. He's praying and praying for three months. And finally, one day, one day, something happened. He's serving the king, and he's serving the queen. And instead of smiling as he normally smiles, he is sad. And the king said, why are you so sad? You are normally cheerful, but your sadness is a sadness of the heart. What can I do for you? This pagan king is being used by God with a sense of compassion. You see the goal? There is a beautiful text in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And I believe in that text so much that God works in advance in the hearts of those that he wants to touch. And there is no question that God is not only working in the heart of Nehemiah, he's working in the heart of the king A, who is a strong, who is a sometimes evil, bloody kind of individual. And now he says to Nehemiah, what can I do for you? And then Nehemiah says, let me pray. Before the king and the queen. And he closed his eyes and he prays and he says, Lord, give me the words. And then he says, this and this and this and this is happening to my people, to my people in Jerusalem. How can I be happy? And the king says, 
And what can I do? What can, how can I help you? And he said, well, I need letters of recommendations because uh, I may be killing my way to Jerusalem. I need protection. I need money. I need gold. I need silver. I need wood. I need this. I need that. And he said, how long do you plan to be absent? He doesn't say how long. But he says that both of them agree with the time. Now, Nehemiah doesn't appear in the Persian history for 12 years. I don't think that he was absent for 12 years. But for some reason, in history, for 12 years, he's not there. And then he's mentioned again after 12 years. So he gets everything that he has and then some. And he goes to Jerusalem. And when he comes to Jerusalem, he cannot believe the state of people, and he cannot believe when he sees the walls of Jerusalem. And he goes alone during the night. He knows that there are enemies who are watching him. And he knows that they are determined to stop him from doing what he's going to do. So he goes during the night in a burro. And he visits the whole area. And then in the morning, he reveals his call with the people, people of Jerusalem. And he divides them by families and by professions. The Levites are going to do this, and the priests are going to do this, and you are going to do that. And there is one father with his daughters, five daughters, and they were going to reveal part of them. Well, it was absolutely extraordinary. And they start working hard, and the enemies start working hard against them. And then comes chapter 4, and there is a very interesting text, and it's the fifth uh, Definition of goals in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 4, verse 6. Chapter 4, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached how much? Half its high. For the people work with how? All their heart. Now you remember the definition number 4 is to put all your heart, all your energy in what God has given you to do. And when he asks us to do something, he gives us the skill, he gives us the ability, he gives us the strength. The call to serve never comes alone. Always comes with the abilities, the skills, and also with a blessing once we do it. Always. Well, they reach halfway. That leads me to um, definition number five. Surprise, surprise. Goals in Greek is teleios. Now some of you know a little bit of Greek. And you know that teleios means perfection. But it doesn't mean that you don't make any more mistakes. It means maturity. Today, I'm better by the grace of God than yesterday. And tomorrow, better than today. That's why the Apostle Paul, to the Philippians, in chapter 3, he makes an incredible, valuable statement. And he says, forgetting what is in the past, I strain forward to what is ahead, toward the goal. Jesus Christ, my Lord. And in verse 15 it says, 
and those of us who are mature take such a view of things. In other words, yes, the past may be rough and may have been difficult and challenging, but he is calling us to look forward. Growth, not sudden growth, is stage growth. Today better than yesterday, tomorrow better than today. I love that concept of goal. I, the goal. I, I love that concept of growth, that God doesn't ask, you cannot make a mistake anymore. No, we are going to grow in, in regard to the weaknesses that we have had, in regard to our past, in regard to whatever, and he will help us. In his strength, we are going to become the individuals that he wants to be. Don't you love it? That is the kind of God that we serve. And that is the kind of goal that he wants. Every day a little bit in his strength and in his power. Well, something happened. Chapter 6, verse 15. Chapter 6, verse 15. I read several Bible commentaries, obviously, before coming to you. Uh, I want to, I always like to have different perspectives. And people, those who, even though are Christians, they cannot believe what it says in chapter 6, verse 15. So, the war was completed in, quant- in how many days? How many days? 52 days. Now, that, that is absolutely incredible. Have you ever been? Yeah, some of you have been in Jerusalem. Uh, the old Jerusalem, the Nehemiah Jerusalem, is not that big. But how they were able to rebuild the walls of the old Jerusalem in 52 days is beyond my ability to understand. And how they, re- how they fixed the gates. I counted 11 gates. Uh, I thought that they were nine, but I read and reread the book and reread the book and I find 11 gates. Whether, whether, even if they are only seven. How they build those seven walls, uh, seven uh, gates, or nine gates, or eleven gates, is beyond me in 52 days. It's admirable. It's admirable. And Sister White says very clearly, God personally, the angels were helping these people uh, to do things that they have never done before. He gave them the skills. He gave them the strength. He gave them the, the ability. He gave them the endurance. He gave them the protection. And the enemies were doing the impossible to distract Nehemiah and to distract the rest of the, those who were working right there from, doing, from reaching the goal. But I also find something very, very fascinating. The first definition of goal is to accomplish something God's way according to the will of the Father, and in the strength of the Father. But the other four conditions, the other four, are the ones who qualify the first one to stay permanent. If we do not keep in our system the message of the five definitions, sooner or later, the first one is going to fail. Let me see if I can explain myself a little bit better. I see some of you wondering what I'm saying. Um, 
the quality of accomplishing the job that God has called us is conditioned to the ability to fulfill the other four definitions of calling. And let me tell you, um, uh, let me qualify that a little bit better. In the book of Hebrews, I mentioned to you that there are 18 definitions of call. 18. And all of them are worship-related. So, Nehemiah, in cooperation with, in partnership with Ezra, they decided that the um, renewal of the people of Israel is not going to be complete by just building the, 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 uh, the walls. They need a spiritual revival. So they call all the people to come close to one of the gates, and they are going to do something. That something is described in chapter 8. Chapter 8. I wish I had the time to read the whole chapter 8. It's so extraordinary. It's so superb. But let's read only two or three verses. Verse 1 and 2. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. And then it says that they call every man, they call every woman, and in verses 2 and 3 it says they call everybody that was able to understand. I like that emphasis. You come, but you listen. And you get interactive in the process. And then Ezra started reading the book. What book did he read? Books from the Old Testament. Books from the Old Testament. From the law. Probably Genesis. Probably Exodus. Leviticus. Numbers. Deuteronomy. I don't know. It says the book of the law. And normally the book of the law are the first five books. And they are listening, and notice what it says in verse number 6. Ezra, no, uh, the end of verse 3. And all the people listen attentively to the book of the law. And notice now verse 6. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen. Then they bow down and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. <laughs> How do you like that? Some of us are sleeping right now. Some of us are reading. Some of us are texting. Uh, right there, right there, they were attentive. They're responding, Amen. Amen. Amen means we agree with what you are saying. We agree with what you are saying. We have to change our ways. We have to have a closer communion with the Father. And notice verse 8. Verse 8. Very interesting. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Very interesting. Well, he decided to highlight four different subjects where the people of Israel were weak. And surprise, surprise, I'm going to highlight three of them. The first one, he said, because we have abandoned God, we have paid a huge price. 
And one, one of the things that we have to start doing again is tithing. <laughs> you didn't expect that. Tithing. We have not been tithing and giving offerings for a long, long time. And the Levites have to find jobs someplace else. Instead of being full-time pastors and shepherds, they are doing whatever except pastoring and shepherding. So we have to start being faithful with our tithes and offerings. Very interesting that he uses that as the first spiritual element after uh, renewing their devotions with God. Number two, we have not been faithful keeping the Sabbath. And in chapters 8, 10, and 13. And if you read chapter 13, you will say, wow, he was almost a dictator. He was so upset because these people who said, amen, amen. And then from there, they will go and do their business on Sabbath. And he said, that has to stop. And in chapter 13, he personally forced the gates that were access to the merchants from outside, non-Jews, to come to Jerusalem, they closed the gates from sundown on Friday to sundown on Sabbath. And by that, they deprived the people, the Jews, from doing business on Sabbath. And, um, and so he does a lot of emphasis on the uh, keeping of the Sabbath. And the third one, very interesting, the third one, the third emphasis. In the captivity, many Levites, many priests, and many laymen have married non-Jews. And the non-Jews have led them to worship gods that are not the living God. And they're just doing anything but being faithful to God. And we are going to solve that problem. Well, I will leave it up to you to read chapter 13. It's very, very strong. <laughs> if we would do that today, probably I would last in this church a week. And then I would live without, with a tremendous sense of relief and joy. <laughs> uh, those methodologies uh, work a few thousand years ago. Today probably would have a different approach. But the emphasis is this, that when we married outside of the circle of Christianity, my brothers and sisters, we are creating problems of our own. And is the pure truth. A significant segment of my ministry is spent trying to help individuals who made that decision long time ago, and now they are paying a huge price. In fact, Yesterday, most of the day, I spent doing that with two families. The, uh, one spouse believes this, and the other spouse believes that, and there is conflict, and sometimes there is even violence. And, um, and he's very clear, and very, very, very clear when it comes to that. Well, let me come back to definition number five. I find enormous satisfaction that God is calling me and is calling you to look into the future. All of us, all of us without exception, have been made mistakes in the past. And he says, yes, learn from those mistakes, but do not dwell on the past. Please open your Bibles, and we will close with this, 
with Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. And it's a verse that we have read on several occasions uh, from here. Isaiah 43. Verses 18 and 19. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. And it's talking about goals right here. Forgetting the former things. In other words, we have made promises in the past. And they were shattered. And the only thing that we have, the only memories that we have about the past is shame. And it's, it's, it's just shame. And he says, I have already taken care of that past. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Oh, I love this text. In other words... Our call today is, should be the same one that it was for the Apostle Paul talking to the Philippians. Forgetting what is in the past and straining toward ahead, toward the price, toward the call. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. In a few weeks, we are going to start a series on heaven. Seven weeks that I hope you will remember for a long, long time. Um, even the bulletin is going to look different. And you will receive the newsletter in about 10 days. And it will explain the process. We are asking children from kindergarten, primary, junior, early teens, and young people in the youth department to design the cover. We are going to, during those seven weeks, we are going to use designs from our own children, from our own youth. We are going to select each week one, and that will be the cover in the bulletin. And we are going to have a display in the bulletin board of all, all the drawings, all the drawings about heaven. And, uh, but the, the price will be the, the, the um, drawings that are going to be chosen for the bulletin. And we are going to start with breakfast, heavenly breakfast. We have two ladies, Linda Lewis and Sharon, who are preparing, uh, organizing, planning heavenly breakfast. <laughs> and we have seven teams of individuals who are going to be preparing those breakfasts. And every Sabbath morning, starting on June 19th to the last Sabbath in July, you're going to the opportunity to taste heavenly breakfast. And there we are going to have a... Uh, Excellent meal right here during the worship service. Um, you are going to see some audiovisuals that are spectacular about heaven. And the Apostle Paul talks about three heavens. He's talking about the third heaven. And we are going to see pictures about the first heaven, the second heaven, and the imagination of those, or the um, interpretation of those who have seen heaven. And in the third presentation, I will share with you a vision that Sister White had of heaven that is absolutely incredible, incredible. Whenever I read it, oh, my spiritual juices come and it's so powerful, it's so extraordinary. So every Sabbath we are going to have something very, very special. The second Sabbath, 
um, Chris Morris, who is moving with his family to Northern California. He, it will be his last sermon. And he will be talking about colors in heaven. Colors in heaven. And, well, every Sabbath, something special. My brothers and sisters, that's where you and I are going. I'm glad Ford said amen. <laughs> and Ignacio cannot wait the moment to grow wings and to go to heaven. We will not need to walk anymore. Yes. What a day that will be. Don't you think that we should be interested in getting acquainted with your our future home? All right. Pray that God bless us and help us to prepare and to present something that would be empowered by the Spirit and an inspiration to everybody.